0: How do you treat tinnitus with hypnosis? Welcome to the sixth episode of Hypnotalks, Question and Answers with Axel Hombach and Dr. John Butler. This time we are going to deal with this question, what you can do when a client approaches you to get rid of his tinnitus. This question, as the others before, comes from a colleague on a Facebook forum, and Dr. John Butler, and I am now going to tackle that question. Dr. John Butler is sitting right now in London with me, sitting here in Cologne. And so let's say hello to Dr. John Butler. Hello, John. Hello, Axel. So you've heard the question. You've already read the questions because we discussed shortly before our interview about that Now, I'm going to read you the question and then let's see where we go from there. Fine. So, the question is, hello everybody, I've been asked if you can treat tinnitus with hypnosis. I told the person that this was possible, but I hadn't done it yet. Have you got experience with tinnitus? What are the chances of success? How did you approach it? Apparently, the person has a beeping in his ear when he comes to rest. So, nothing that is permanently experienced. Thank you very much in advance. So, John, this colleague of ours already includes three questions. How to go about tinnitus, what could be the approaches, and what are the chances of success? You, as a neurologist, probably have a completely different background than most of the other hypnotists that uh, we usually work with and you have a medical background you even teach at university let's start with one of the questions that the colleague put there what are the chances of success when you work in hypnosis with tinnitus
1: okay actually well uh, I think it is something that we can work effectively with in most cases. Now, uh, I have had experience with it over the years. Not the most common problem people come with, although it's becoming more well-known that hypnosis can help these people. Now, tinnitus, according to different studies, there's a variation of how many people have it, less than 1%. Some people... Uh, in their studies, have reported 1 to 2 percent. I think it depends a lot on the severity of the problem, and that's quite subjective as well, to an extent. Now, I'm talking here not on the neurological basis of it, of course, when we're discussing hypnosis, we are affecting, we're hoping to affect not only the subjective experience of it, but in a way, the way the brain is neurologically creating this problem, where What it means as tinnitus, the symptoms are you're hearing a sound that doesn't exist externally and it's usually a ringing or a buzzing in one or both ears. Now it can be mild or very severe and a lot depends on then how the individual emotionally responds to that. People don't like to think often that their symptoms have a strong emotional component because it's so unpleasant and even horrible for them in some cases. With the tinnitus, the symptoms often are made worse when they're stressed, depressed, anxious, and perhaps these are contributory factors in the origin of the problem. But of course, once the person is depressed and anxious about it because it can interfere with their life and their lifestyle greatly, well then of course it makes the problem worse. And that's not understood, really, what the factors are, the exact circuitry in the brain by which the emotions are adding to the problem or even in some cases being a major part of the cause of the problem. But it becomes a vicious cycle. And the more stressed and depressed you are about it, the more you fear it, which tends to increase the anticipation of it happening. So the expectation really adds to the problem itself and the underlying problems that may cause effects uh, within their lives because they find they can't sleep, they wake up and it's ringing in their ears, and then it's difficult to get back to sleep. Often in their daily life, it's not such a big problem. And that's one of the things we have to look at, the issue of how much attention the person gives it. Now, people can't look for a magic wand here often. I mean, I know there are certainly dubious people in our field, and it's common practice for people to put up on websites things like 70% success in one to three sessions. And you know that sometimes we can have great results often in that short batch of sessions, one to four sessions. But some people may need longer, and they certainly aren't guarantees and the person would need to work with you in understanding the nature of the problem, the kind of complex factors emotionally that are interacting with anything neurological here so that they learn to help themselves. That's very critical. Now, the auditory areas of the brain receive input from not only the ears, of course, but from many other areas of the brain, and certainly, importantly, here from the frontal cortex area. And so people can, through emotional effects affecting the cortex and affecting the auditory centres in very complex ways, can really generate on sounds that are not actually out there in the real world. Of course the person must get it medically checked to make sure there's nothing wrong with the nerve, the auditory nerve, and as far as anybody can tell, that there's no underlying physiological problem. Now, of course, there may well be physiological problems that medicine is not able to detect. And, again, as I said, we're not going to go into those here. But the person will have that medical assessment, and then they come to the therapist. And in the case of the hypnotherapist or counselor, they're really working with the psychological effects uh, of the illness and how to use the mind, perhaps even to help with long-term improvements and healing, but certainly in the short term, to give the person that sense of control and not being overwhelmed and tortured by this. Interestingly enough, the data are very unsure about this. I mean, the 70% figure is something that's been, I think, derived from a study of where they quoted a figure of 68%. It wasn't a very well-designed study, and there are complexities about designing the studies in this field. I've seen reports of over 90% for Ericksonian hypnosis. Again, there was certainly a, a lack of good controls in that study. Others have reported high 80s success, high 60s, as I said, uh, low 40s, and some studies show little above placebo effect, For hypnosis or other psychological therapies. Now, I think a good hypnotist will find a lot of benefit if with a client who works with this. There's a lot of benefits that will occur for the client over the sessions in terms of learning how to control the, the loudness of the sound, which is often very subjective and affected by lots of things. Now, for example, when they're on their own, it seems much worse. But that same level of activity when they're very busy active doing other things perhaps talking with people very often it's much less for them and it's very unclear as to again what's subjective and objective here it's very unclear about how emotions affect it as well but if we get down now to the nitty-gritty of dealing with it. We want person to learn the principles of relaxation at deep levels, to use the control panel method. This is a, a standard tool I use for them in the session, so they learn to have a sense of control, turning up and down the intensity of the sound when they're there with you in the session. And that's hopeful if it's going through a very bad phase at that time. Now, sometimes, as I say, it's not inconsequential here that When they're with you, they're saying, well, it's not so bad now. But when I'm on my own and there's nobody around, it's very bad. And late at night, that's particularly bad. So they'll maybe use masking sounds and other things that they may use, tools that they've learned even from other therapies to help themselves. And many therapies are used in complementary therapy to help this condition where the cases have been found to have no real medical cause or solution that's known. What I find with people is, yes, depression, loneliness, very often feed into this problem. And it, people can feel very alone with the problem because they feel trapped with the sound. So the mild cases are much less problematic, but the severe cases can be really, really terrible. And we want clients to know ethically that we can't guarantee c- cures, but we can certainly do everything that's helpful that we know of, and in the majority of cases, I find people get benefits ranging from at the very least some beneficial effects. Very often, it's mild to very useful effects. I wouldn't like to put a figure on it because I don't have a figure on it, but certainly the majority of people get benefits. And with those who find it difficult to get benefits, I believe there are some. Often underlying emotional factors that play into this. And I'm not denying there's a physical effect going on here in some of these cases that medicine is not able to determine and, and deal with, but being able to reduce the sensations, the sound, the volume, and the way, it, the nature of the sound even, that's possible for the mind. And if the person is not getting progress with that, one would have to look into things like secondary gains, readiness for change again. And our job is about diminishing often rather than eliminating the problem. So not a magic wand, but something they work with with us in helping reduce the symptoms. And uh, by the way, with the symptoms, you can give suggestions, of course, to diminish them. Suggestions have been used in the past to ignore them, which I use a lot of that suggestion as well. Suggestions to suppress the symptoms, to suggest they're not there at all. They're largely unsuccessful for most people. It's as if they couldn't possibly, in their minds, believe that that was possible. And so you may have to work up over a period of time with them to get them that feeling of greater control, overcoming the feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. And that alone
0: is a major help for them. Okay, if I were to summarize that, John, for one thing, often it's not really clear what the physiological basis of the tinnitus is. And that the major point when we work with a client is that we help him to deal with it on an emotional level in a better way than he has been able to before so that he has this sense of control not only about the tinnitus probably about his life and then help him work out his life conditions regain control over his life and with that the tinnitus often subsides or even disappears would that be in a nutshell the idea
1: that would be very much a good summary of it axel yeah, it's very interesting that if you take the majority of people and put them in a the quiet room and ask them after a while to listen to their hearing, they'll say, oh, yes, I can detect a very distant ringing or hissing. Yeah. In other words, our hearing is not totally silent ever. Now, I'm not saying that all tinnitus is just people being paying undue attention to their ordinary background s- sounds within our hearing, but they do become very uh, focused on it. And it's, it's an attentive problem at that stage. They become too attentive, and when they're very occupied, often they can switch off. As you know, at Ericsson, he went into a place where terrible noise was going on, and after a while, he adjusted to do it just like people living near the airport after a while don't hear the planes or we don't hear the ticking clock in the room. Now it's a bit different with tinnitus in some ways but in other ways it's similar to that. You can learn to switch off from it, to ignore it, and at least not give it as much attention. That's easier of course for the mild cases. Severe cases, that's much more difficult but I've never found a person for example that couldn't reduce it to some degree with the control panel other than where there was a very big emotional factor involved in maintaining and exacerbating the problem.
0: So when uh, when it's about emotional problems, then I would assume that analytical hypnosis would be a very good approach to go for it.
1: Absolutely. I think that's where the real progress then would be made. How much are they willing to give it up? What other problems in life does it help them avoid or distract from or create for themselves? Remember, secondary gains are often about giving ourselves problems, our desire to punish ourselves, the the lack of self-love, the lack of self-healing. There are factors like that, which, of course, we've got to deal with sensitively so the person doesn't feel guilty that we're making them believe. They just bring it on themselves. Of course, these things are more complex but there are emotional factors that will help or hinder the person's recovery and we can help them with that and getting life back getting a lifestyle back where they get on with things more with a sense of control at least and some sense that they can reduce the severity of the problem and that alone is often extremely extremely beneficial for them and so the therapy I don't believe some of the reports that say well In this case, hypnosis is really working only at a placebo or slightly above placebo, placebo plus paying attention to the client and so on. I think there's much, much more we can offer these people. But again, as I said, no guarantees, and they're not coming, hopefully, with a view of the magic wand that we wave over them and they don't have to do anything and it all just disappears.
0: Then a high-level... Standard approach could be, well, when I say high level, it's just the the very, very rough steps, which would be probably check if there's organic basis for the tinnitus. And if if there's not, it depends on how you would approach. But basically, then the second part would be work with suggestions to help the people learn that they have some kind of control, and then after that, if it's still required, go analytical for it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We, there are scripts on uh, how to uh, give suggestions, but again, you, know, you do not have to have a script. You can find out the sort of sound. Is it buzzing? Is it ringing? Which ear is it in? And you can give suggestions to reduce it, to make it less problematic, You know, and on and on and on, and to be able to ignore it more effectively
0: too. Which should be a part of the standard interview at the beginning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A good interview, like you say, making sure the medical questions have been answered, that they've been there and uh, had it assessed medically. And um, you would then give your suggestions depending on the symptoms as they experience it. And of course, we can always give them suggestions for their natural mechanisms. The body's always working to heal itself, and we can give good suggestions to assist that process. But again, we're not in any shape or form giving claims, making claims that are not appropriate in this field of physical treatments where a physical condition is being brought to the therapist because there are medical issues
0: here as well and legal issues. You definitely have. To, uh, you have to know about the legal issues there, which vary from country to country, of course. Yes. So it's yeah. a different situation in the United Kingdom and in Germany, for example, or in France or in the various states of the U.S. So, because our time is already approaching the end, to summarize it, start with a very thorough interview. Put a lot of emphasis on the hypnotist client relationship or the therapeutical relationship give your client the impression that he is very very safe with you that he can trust you and go for the beliefs that the client has built around and building on that beliefs go for the first suggestions help him to get the feeling of control back and then later on work analytically if that's still Required.
1: Yes, if the client is willing and still required, and of course, as always, giving them a good recording and some self-hypnosis training with their control panel dimmer switch idea-you know, that that sort of programming suggestion-you've got a very good little approach there for this problem of
0: tinnitus. So that control panel could be then part of the first or second session? Absolutely. And then go for it. If it's still required. Yeah. With a MP3 or uh, with transforming therapy, of course. Absolutely. Okay, John, because our time is up, have you got some last words for our listeners?
1: Only to say, if you've never done this before, you have to start somewhere. And When you have a client, keep your own positive expectation in your mind. Always see the client being improved and not let fears or any doubts dominate your thinking have positive expectation and then work the very best you can to get the very best result you can this like many of the more severe medical conditions that sometimes hypnotherapists help we don't have to stress ourselves out that we can eliminate eradicate the problem completely a diminishing of the problem will often be sufficient
0: and to add to that something that you mentioned earlier in our interview don't expect to have everything worked out in the first session.
1: No. Deal with the water mergers, as we always say. That's the hallmark of an
0: effective therapist. Put the client at the center and not yourself. Correct. Okay. John, thank you very much for your insights. I hope everybody who is working with tinnitus or similar conditions or related conditions will have some ideas from our interview gain more confidence and so we are going to tackle the next question next time with session seven john thank you very much and goodbye for now
1: thank you axel i look forward to speaking again and thanks to everybody who listens in all the best for now
0: all the best for now